Hey, let's let's recognize the spirit of that one more time. That was incredible. And uh, and Jen, Jen, uh, your eyes were closed most of the time. But the the, the, the face of this front row down here, their faces were just priceless. They were wiping tears and you know, death. Where is your sting? I think here. Right. Oh, no, OK. Not here. Good job, you guys. Awesome. All righty. Hey, before we get going, uh, I want to invite Pete West to come on up. Uh, Pete is the director of self-sustaining enterprises. And we have two really exciting brand new business trees that have opened up right here on the campus of Grace Chapel. And he's going to tell you all about them, give an update there. All right. Working there, Stacy. Thanks very much. Once again, my name is Pete West, director of self-sustaining enterprises. Uh, we're a nonprofit group that is based here on Grace Chapel campus, uh, focused on starting and operating businesses, which provide uh, long-term revenue support for our orphan care through back-to-back. Um, and you may know us best through the New to You Thrift Store, which is right across from the church office. Uh, but I'm here to announce that we have not one, but two new businesses, or as we like to call them, business trees, starting up here on the campus. Now, briefly, just to talk about business tree. Business tree is obviously a combination of a business and a ministry. So it has an intentional element of ministry built into its business plan, and also it contributes a significant portion of its earnings uh, to the ongoing support of orphans. So I'd like you to introduce you to the first and newest of our uh, business trees, and that is the Trinity Salon. And we have three members from our congregation who have started this. And so Ashley, Nicole, and Cherie, right there in the middle rows, uh, they are fantastic stylists. And uh, they have taken... They have taken the big plunge to start their own salon. It's going to be a booth rental salon. So if you know any stylists that would like to work in a Christian environment with an intentional ministry uh, to those they serve, uh, feel free to get a hold of them. They will be out in the lobby after the service and uh, stop by and talk to them if you need a really good hairstyle as well. Uh, So thank you very much. They're located in the house across Route 42, caddy corner from the the cement house on our property. And if you uh, go in there, if you've ever been in there before, they have done a fantastic job getting it ready. The second business we've got going on is uh, a fitness gym that's located in the uh, back of the church, behind the church warehouse, next to the railroad tracks, otherwise known as the alleyway of doom in the past. Uh, but it has undergone a massive transformation. We have converted the old maintenance shop into a uh, top-notch gym, and we have cleaned the back area next to the tracks so that it's actually a nice place to be. Um, and we have been up and running for about two months because it took us about that long to get the facilities ready. Uh, but we're announcing our grand opening uh, on next Saturday, August 2nd, uh, from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock. If anyone wants to join us there, uh, we're going to be having food, refreshments, activities, uh, games and all that sort to introduce you uh, to our gym. Now, the name of our gym, as the T-shirt suggests, is, is CrossFit Superfly. CrossFit is an international fitness program, uh, and it focuses on a number of things. One, it's a broad-based comprehensive program for both strength, uh, endurance, and flexibility. Uh, but more than being a good program, it also emphasizes uh, a sense of community. Uh, the gym will be no larger than probably 100 people or so, 
I like to think of it like cheers where when you walk in, everybody knows your name in the gym and you get personalized attention. Our classes are no more than eight. So you'll get a one-to-one connection uh, with our trainers and coaches. Let me introduce you real briefly to Brian Miller, who is our uh, CrossFit instructor. He's a certified instructor and trainer. And uh, he'll be the one guiding us through this adventure in fitness, if you will. Um, Another element that we're shooting for in terms of attentional ministry uh, that uh, addresses a question I get when I tell people we're starting a CrossFit gym. Most people ask me, well, I thought CrossFit is really for jocks, you know, uh, hardcore Navy SEAL types. And I tell them, well, it certainly can be challenging for anybody at any level of fitness. Uh, But part of our intentional ministry is to bring health and fitness to those who are not necessarily fit and healthy today. Um, And so we're trying to open it up to a number of others in the community. Uh, One of the programs that we're working with the food pantry right now is to create a kids program for those kids who are figuratively uh, and literally uh, on the other side of the tracks. Uh, Our business faces the railroad tracks and we got a big community on the other side that we would like to serve. uh, And uh, we're looking at starting that program. We're also starting a program in August uh, for any of those who are primarily focused in weight loss where we will not only use the CrossFit uh, as a base, but we'll be looking at uh, aerobic conditioning, uh, accountability groups so that we have somebody to work with, and perhaps more important, we're going to be doing a uh, college-level course on diet and nutrition so that you're not just picking diets off the TV, uh, but that you're actually educated on how to set up uh, a nutritious and sustainable uh, diet on an ongoing basis. Um, so once again, I'd like to uh, invite you to our opening day. Um, And lastly, uh, although we'd love to have you, if you need a great haircut or want to get in the best shape of your life, we're happy to uh, talk more about it in the hallway. But uh, each of these individuals uh, are making the transition into what I call marketplace ministry, or better yet, I like to call them marketplace missionaries. They're reaching out to the community and touching people spiritually that might not otherwise be touched through our church. And anybody who's been through a startup of a new business knows that the first six months can be challenging, stressful, uh, but also uh, can be rewarding as well. And so I'd ask you to pray for these who are starting up their new businesses and taking that step of faith and moving forward in God's plan. Oh, and lastly, in an element of raw commercialism, okay, I have challenged (coughs) Kevin to wear one of our super cool CrossFit Superfly t-shirts, yeah, so, yeah, he, Pete came to my office uh, earlier this week and he said, hey, I'll give you a free T-shirt if you wear it while you preach. And I said, hey, I can do that. But here's the deal. When uh, Nicole and the gang open Trinity over there and they come up with a frilly pink kind of cool little Trinity shirt, Jeff has to wear that one. All right. So. All right. CrossFit Superfly. All right. Nicole, I think I'll come visit you. I got a haircut a little while ago and uh, Kim said, that looks really stupid. Go see Nicole. Okay. So, uh, but anyway, we're going to dive in today uh, to our lesson. Uh, Let me pray first. Jesus, we thank you again for your presence here with us. Um, Whenever I open my mouth, I pray that your words would come out and uh, I invite you into, into my heart and to our hearts and to search our motivations and to tell us what you want us to hear this morning. So we praise you. You're awesome. We love you. Amen. All right. We're, uh, we're in week number three in a series that we're calling Between Two Worlds. And it's a series in which we're exploring what does it mean to live in this world, but not of it? 
Okay, in this world, but not of it. And two weeks ago, Jeff started out the series by talking about the fact that we need to we to we need to uh, grasp and take seriously our set apartness. All right. When we accept the forgiveness that God gives us, when we enter into a relationship with God as his child, we need to begin to act like it and to not act like the rest of the world and just be a chameleon. All right. Last week, Jeff then talked about what it's like to live with a vibrant and living hope, a hope that does not uh, fade away. And he ended that in verse number. This is first Peter uh, chapter one and uh, ended with verse four and five last week. And it talked about uh, this inheritance that we're going to get at the end. And then that inheritance that cannot spoil or, or go, go rotten. Okay, so we're going to skip a couple of verses and we're going to jump into today. So what's our reaction to all of this? What what are my action steps? How do I then live my life on a day to day basis uh, as if I understand these truths? OK, what comes next for me? Well, we talked about that inheritance and that when uh, when our earthly life passes away, we receive this inheritance. And so I want to I want to just wrap ourselves around that first so that we understand that completely. And in order to do that, and this might seem early on a little disjointed or not kind of related, but I promise you it'll all come back, uh, come back around. All right. So this inheritance that we receive um, when we become God's child and we take hold of it at the end of our earthly life. And it's really, really cool. Okay. So in the meantime, like Jeff talked about two weeks ago, we are strangers in this foreign land. If we consider ourselves just kind of at home here, we blend in like a chameleon. And that's no good because that doesn't accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our lives. We need to live as strangers in this foreign land. And he talked extensively about how we do that. All right. Well, I want to start us off with uh, this thought. If I have a false or a limited view of what that inheritance is like or, or what qualifies me to receive it, then that's going to severely cloud all of the spiritual truths that I encounter from now on, and it's going to very, very limit my freedom and victory that I have in Christ. Let me say that again. If I underestimate, if I am limited or false in my view of this inheritance and what qualifies me to receive it, it's going to cloud from here on out the spiritual truths that I run into. It's also going to greatly limit the freedom and the victory I have in Christ. And so it's really important that we wrap around our heads around this inheritance, why we get it, what it is, and how to go forward. Okay, with that as a backdrop, I want to tell you uh, a little bit about this story that you find yourselves in. Okay, you and I, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing this because I, I think it's important. You and I and everyone else that walks this earth are in the middle of an epic story. Okay. You go to movies, you watch uh, TV, you read books. And if you would do that critically, you'll find out that every story is pretty much the same. Why do you think every story is the same? It's because it's our story. It's the story that we live in. And this is a, a, a four act story. OK, and you and I are part of it. Act number one in the beginning. OK, why do you think every story starts off with in the beginning in a galaxy far, far away? Once upon a time, every story starts out that way. It's because our story starts out that way. 
But because when I when I uh, mention in the beginning, your your minds, I'm sure, go immediately go to Genesis one one in beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Well, actually, a better translation for that is when God began to create the heavens and the earth. Genesis one one doesn't start until way further on down the line of the story. We're talking act three of, of a four act story. In the beginning starts in, in John chapter one, verse one, where it says in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in the very beginning. Eons, unmeasurable eons in the past, the beginning. And it's a beautiful uh, any uh, um, last of the Mohican fans out there. You watch that movie. I love that movie. But at the very beginning of that movie, there's this the, the lead in and you have the three, the, the father and the son, and the grandfather and the, this just uh, beginning of an epic story. They're going, they're running through the woods. And it's this uh, image of three in one with a common purpose and this beautiful uh, scenery and all of that stuff. In the beginning, God, the father, son, the Holy Spirit were in communion with one another existing for eons unmeasurably in the past. At some point during that act, number one, God created uh, the heavenly beings and God created an army of spiritual beings we call angels. And they were to be his helpers, to worship him, to accompany him, eventually to become his messengers here on earth and and uh, are active in our earth today. These angels. But, you know, we, we picture angels. We, we picture Cupid. The little cute, pudgy little guy, and he has a bow and arrow, and he shoots people, and they fall in love, and then there's a Hallmark card and all that kind of stuff. That's not what angels in the in the Bible were like. Angels were an an army, armed, swords, battle people, generals, and infantry, and and accomplished God's work on on earth. The, The 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 almost without exception. The universal reaction to somebody in the Bible when they saw an angel was not, ooh, Cupid. It was fall down face on the earth, afraid. And almost all the time when when an angel was was mentioned in the Bible, the very next verse said, hey, get up. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Okay. Acts number two is a bad time in our history, in our story. Act number two is when evil, evil and death entered the story of our story or entered the story. This is when the general of that angel army, the, the Bible describes him as the beautiful one, the one that was the up and coming, the one that, that God relied on to lead this angel army decides, I don't want to serve under him anymore. I'm going to talk all my buddies and we're going to have a bloody coup and we're going to destroy this God and I'm going to become the leader. And of course, God had no part of that. And so Satan and his third of the angels were cast down into hell forever and ever and ever cast out of heaven, cast out of God's presence, but not dead. And so for the next leading up till now and beyond the very, the very makeup of Satan is to destroy God's creation, God's sons and daughters and everything. His, his, his world revolves around destroying us and stealing what God would have for us. Okay, this is all act number two. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're living uh, past that. But act number two is also at some point during that per- the perfect part of that act number two. Um, that, that, that Satan's just 
his every movement is to destroy us. And we and and we're living in a remnant of that. OK, so act number three comes along and now we're into Genesis. Right. So God begins to create the heavens and the earth and all that's around us. And mankind enters this story. OK, so mankind enters the story late in the story in act number three, actually. And, and note that evil already existed. OK, so Adam and Eve are created this perfect Perfect creation. God wants this perfect thing, but he gives them a choice. They choose because of the temptation to go against God and to disobey him. All right. And so then ushers into thousands of years of turmoil. And you read through the Old Testament and it's battle after victory, after battle, after slaughter, after you know, healing and then some more battle. And then back and forth and back and forth as evil and good are colliding over the hearts of of men and God's chosen people. And just at the perfect time of history, God sends his son into the world. So Jesus comes into the world, gives us an opportunity to win our hearts back. I think it's really, really interesting. Whenever we think about Christmas, we think of, and and partly rightly so, we think of the manger and the donkeys and the sheep and the shepherds and the wise men. It's all pretty and it's nice. We have children singing and all that kind of stuff. All that's true. All that's very, very true. But you want to read the real story of Christmas and the significance of that event? You go to chapter 12 of Revelation and read the Christmas story. Very different. A bloody battle for the hearts of men as God is sending his son into this ongoing battle. Go home and read chapter 12 of Revelation. If you haven't, it'll open your eyes. The real story of Christmas. Anyway... Time goes on. Eventually, late in act number three, here we are. Okay, we're living in the later stages of act number three. It's not until act number four that we receive this inheritance that Jeff was talking about and uh, verse four and five were talking about this incredible inheritance. But we haven't gotten there yet. And so we're still living in the in the battle raging around us. And that's why we're strangers living in this foreign land. We're just moving through on our way to this inheritance. Let's talk about what that inheritance is like, because remember, I said it's really, really important that we know what that inheritance is like and what it involves. It's really important because if I don't understand that, then everything becomes clouded. So what's that inheritance like? Well, I can tell you what it's not like any of those of you who have been a Christian for any more than 10 or 12, 15 years or whatever, who attended churches that weren't quite as fun as Grace Chapel. Like I grew up in an old country church and and what what they tell us heaven was like. Okay, you get to worship God and you get to sing. And then you get to sing some more and then you get to worship God. When we've been there 10,000 years of singing. Now. Nothing against Jen and the gang up here. This is lots of fun. But 10,000 years, of, that sounds, I'm, I know beaches in Hawaii that are way more fun than 10,000 years of singing. Okay? That's not what it's like. That's not our inheritance. Of course we're going to worship God. Of course we're going to clap and sing and have a fun time and all that kind of stuff. Of course. But that's so limited. You know, if you were the son or the daughter of an earthly king and you inherited the kingdom, what do you get? I get the keys to the castle. 
I get to run around in all of the rooms. I get to eat all of the food. I get to play with all of the dogs. I get to experience everything. I have unlimited wealth. I get the keys to the castle. That's what I get. When we get our inheritance from God at the end of our earthly life, we get all of that times a million. I mean, the Bible says all things are made new in heaven. What's a blind person get in heaven? He or she gets to see again. What's a deaf person get in heaven? Gets to hear again. What's a sick person in heaven who wasted away from cancer or MS or whatever? They get their well body again. We get the keys to the castle in our inheritance. And it's forever. Meanwhile, we're worshiping God and having fun and singing and dancing and all that stuff. It's an incredible inheritance that we get. We get the privileges of being a kid of the king in heaven. But that's not here yet. That's Act 4. And we're still in Act 3, living in a foreign land as strangers in this battle that's raging around us for our hearts. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's happy. A lot of times it's heartbreaking. Okay, so we need to understand that we're living in the midst of that war zone and that sometime in the future we get the incredible inheritance, but not now. So we're going to look to the Bible this morning. We're trying to figure out what's the game plan, what, uh, what happens next, how do we react to this? Okay, so here we go. We're going to skip down to verse 13. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And verse 13 starts off with the word therefore. Now, let me give you a helpful hint. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible... Pay a close attention to what comes next. Okay? Many times in the Bible says this and this and this and this and this. Therefore. And that's a huge clue. Pay attention to what comes next. Verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Skip down to verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Okay, so reset. First, we know that the Bible tells us we are to not conform to this world. Secondly, we know that we need to live a life with a vibrant, healthy, awesome hope that will not fade away. And then we learned this morning already where we fit in this epic story. And then we just learned that the game plan is that we should prepare our minds for action and live as strangers with reverent fear. And so we're going to spend uh, the rest of our time unpacking those three parts, okay? Preparing, action, and reverent fear. And I'm going to use a story that happened to me about 10 years ago to kind of help us understand or, and uh, just give us the finer points of unpacking those three, uh, three commands to us. Uh, about 10 years ago, it's probably close to 11 years now, my dad, who, my dad grew up in Kenya his whole life. And he grew up in the shadow of Mount Kilimanjaro. Mount Kilimanjaro is a huge mountain, the highest uh, peak in Africa. It's a dormant volcano uh, right on the border of Kenya and Tanzania. And uh, he grew up in the shadow of that mountain and for decades longed as he would look up to the snowy peaks of Kilimanjaro, longed to climb that mountain and just never did, never got around to it. So I get this call about 11 years ago and, and dad says, hey, I'm getting to be an old guy. And I don't want to die having my biggest what if story of not climbing that mountain. So he says, uh, you know, your mom and I have been in uh, or we're in better financial shape than we have been in a long time. So he said, I'll pay for it if you organize it and uh, let's bring Logan along and we'll have a three generation Schwieger man climb up the mountain. 
Okay, so I said, count us in. I'll start right now. Okay, hung up the phone, started making some phone calls. And so uh, he was 64 at the time. I was 40. Logan was 15 or 14. And so uh, we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. All right. So I'm going to use that climb and the experiences going up that mountain kind of to help us understand these three points. And I'm going to mix up the order of the three points just a little bit. Uh, and it'll make sense why. Okay, so we're going to start with action. Remember, we had prepare action and reverent fear. We're going to start with action. We're going to start with action because without knowing what we need to do or what the action is supposed to be for what we are preparing, it doesn't make any sense to prepare unless you know for what you're preparing. All right. If I'm going to enter a basketball tournament, I don't prepare by swimming every day. Okay. That wouldn't make sense. So we need to know for what we are preparing first, then that helps us prepare. All right. And so action, what's the action? Well, back to Kilimanjaro, the action obviously was five days of backpacking uh, through the altitude to reach Uhuru Point, which in Swahili means freedom point, and uh, is located on the Tanzanian border at 19,340 feet. Okay, it's pretty close to 20,000 feet high. So that's the action. That's for what we were preparing. Okay, it's pretty obvious, climbing to the top of that mountain. Back to our spiritual lives. What's the action that we are trying to get ready for. Okay, well, threefold I'm going to say this morning. One is that we are constantly to be conforming to the image of Christ. That's our action. That's what for what we are preparing in this, this stranger world we're going through. Okay, that's the goal, to conform to the image of Christ, to conform not to the world, but to conform to the image of Christ, to be Christ-like, okay? It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We have to do that our whole lives. But that's the action. That's what we are to be spending our time working toward every day to conform to the image of Christ. Secondly, to be a conduit uh, for increasing God's kingdom. Okay, That's an action point as opposed to just sitting around waiting. All right. I had a I have a old old guy friend of mine for years and uh, he just died a couple of years ago. Really close friend of mine. His name was Jim Pickens. And Jim was crusty, crusty on the outside, but really warm and fuzzy on the inside. And he had all these crazy sayings that uh, just rattle around in my head like BBs ever since. But um, you know, like if he was surprised at something, he'd say, well, I'll be a monkey's left hand third cousin in law. You know, it's just stuff goofy, just stuff like that. All right. But uh, one of the things he used to say, if we were on a mission trip or if we were on like some kind of service project or on a bicycle trip or something, and he saw somebody over there kind of relaxing or not doing what they were supposed to be doing. Let's say it was art. He'd say, hey, you were the ears. He'd say, you, you were the ears to everyone. But he'd say, hey, you were the ears. Hey, quit standing around with your teeth in your mouth and your bare face hanging out and get busy. All right. And so uh, the. How random and weird is that? But quit standing around with your teeth in your mouth and your bare face hanging out and do something. Okay, be a conduit to increase God's kingdom. That's our action. That's what for what we are preparing or for what we should be preparing all day long, every day to be a conduit to not just sit around and exist, but to do something to increase God's kingdom. We were created on purpose to do that. Thirdly, reclaiming our hearts goes back to the story. Satan's job is to rip our hearts away from us, the masculine and feminine hearts that God gave us, 
And he wants to separate that from us so that rob us of our joy and our freedom in Christ. And our action should be constantly to reclaim, to use Jesus and his relationship to reclaim our hearts. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says that the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Notice that it doesn't say who was lost. You know, certainly he is trying to save who. But in that verse, at least in that context, it says he came to seek and to save what was lost. Well, what was lost? Our hearts, the hearts that God gave us to be children of him have been ripped away from us. And through Jesus, we can reclaim those. So that's the action. You know, we were telling the high school kids down in Mexico, Jeff and me uh, last week or two weeks ago now. We, we told them, and this has become kind of a mantra of our, of our uh, student ministry probably here going forward for a few months. <clears throat> it is not our job to just relax and just try to survive until some predetermined, culturally determined point in which it's time for us to do something. Okay? So in the context of the students, you know, our culture is pushing adolescence higher and higher and higher and higher up into the 20s and the 30s, in which... You just are supposed to just kind of exist. Just don't get in trouble. Just, you know, be cool. Wait, just survive until such time that we give you permission to actually do something significant. The time to do something significant is now. Quit standing around with your teeth in your mouth and bare face hanging out and do something now for God. Okay, that's our action. All right. Let's move to reverent fear. What's it mean to live our lives as strangers here in reverent fear? That's a really kind of an odd thing to say. What's it mean to be fearful of God in the biblical sense? Does that mean we're supposed to be afraid of God or to be scared of God? You know, certainly I should be afraid of the consequences of not having a relationship with God. But that's not what it means. The Bible over and over and over again says, fear the Lord your God, especially in the Old Testament. Well, here's what that means. It really means an awe-inspired, healthy respect for the God that created us. An awe-inspired, healthy respect for the God that created us. Deuteronomy uh, 10, 12 says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord, the God, Lord, Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, and to observe his commands. So what does it mean to fear God? It means to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve him and to obey his commands or his decrees. That's how I have an all inspired, healthy respect for the God that created me. I'm to fear God. Well, back to Kilimanjaro. What did it mean for me to fear to have a healthy, all inspired respect for this mountain? It's huge. What does it mean for me to walk in reverent fear leading up to the time where I'm supposed to start climbing that? Well, uh, first of all, it means going on increasingly long hikes, getting ready, getting my body ready with Logan, getting us ready so that uh, we can hike for several hours and, and be okay. It also means uh, that we were going to, you know, we're, we're going to encounter extreme exertion. We know that. We're going to encounter extreme uh, temperatures. You know, you climb that mountain that's big enough that it encompasses five different climate zones. And so you start climbing that mountain just walking out of a cornfield. It's 80 degrees. We're in shorts and tennis shoes and T-shirts. By the time you get up to the top of there three or four days later, it's below zero, 50 mile an hour winds, 75 foot glaciers year round. This is in the middle of Africa, glaciers. 
and it's cold and windy and freezing. Extreme temperatures that you're going to have to walk up and down. You know, you have to carry all that stuff with you because there's no like Walmart to buy a coat on the way up. All right. Let alone altitude. We're talking close to 20,000 feet. Now, 20,000 feet is about the cusp of needing um, supplemental oxygen. You know, most people start to realize the changes in altitude around six, seven, eight thousand feet. And you get up to 20,000 feet. And it was, it was really interesting. It was really, literally you're walking like that. And um, incredible. Uh, if you don't have a reverent fear for standing at 20,000 feet, you die. Basically, your lungs fill with liquid you have edema and uh, pulmonary edema and you die. OK, if you don't have a rever- reverent fear of going through that experience back to our spiritual life, what does it mean to have a reverent fear of the God that created us? Well, first of all, I have to understand the compass, the 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 just the massiveness of this God that I worship. He is all powerful. He's he flung the stars into place. He parted the Red Sea. He heals people. He created everything that we see around us. He is an all-knowing God. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. You can't go anywhere that you escape that. You know, there are two words in the Bible that come from Psalm 139 that are probably two of the most impactful words for me, even there. And Psalm 139 says, hey, if I go to the ends of the earth, if I stay here, if I go to the depths of the sea, or if I go up to the top of the mountain, if I sleep at night, or if I wake in the morning, even there... Is God. Now that is really, really comforting. Sometimes it could be very discomforting if I'm in a place that I don't want God to be there, right? But I need to understand that about the God that I worship. He's an incredibly loving, caring God, but He's also a jealous and a fierce God. He's been in a raging battle for thousands of years for my heart. I have to have a reverent fear. For that, and all inspired healthy respect for God. What does it mean to have a fear, uh, a reverent fear for the life that I'm living? This goes back to uh, Jeff a couple of weeks ago. You know, if I think that I'm just going to go through life just easy peasy, float along, I'm going to get destroyed. I'm living here in a foreign land, enemy territory. And if I don't understand the depth of that, it's really going to be hard. For me, why do you think, you know, we have this enemy I, we've talked about that is, is wants to destroy and devour me. Why do we think we have uh, child slavery? All those girls in Nigeria just recently, they were slow, sold into sexual slavery. What? Explain to me why that happens without the, the, the presence of an evil and a sinful enemy. Explain to me why we have men all over our country addicted to pornography. Explain to me why natural disasters and disease and pestilence and and all of the things that are just nasty in our world. Explain to me, good luck, without including the presence of an enemy and a sinful nature. We just got back from Mexico, like I said. Explain to me why we have 163 million orphans in this world today. Yeah, we, uh, uh, Jackson and Avery were with me. We were down there, visited every day this uh, children's home named Casa Hogar Douglas. We met this little five, six-year-old girl. <clears throat> I can't remember her name. 
But uh, they told us our, her story. She was dropped off at the children's home when she was two or three. Um, parents didn't want her, couldn't care for her, just dropped her off at the children's home. All right. Well, down there at, the, at that children's home, if there's any extended family, aunts and uncles, grandparents or whatever, that have some sort of connection with the kid, every July they give the kids the opportunity, if there's somebody, they can go spend a, a week or two in, during the summertime. And, uh, and that, they told us maybe a handful of kids that happens too. But anyway, so this girl uh, went back for a little, during those weeks that she was back, she was sexually molested, beaten, and had a cut on her foot where she got tetanus and was unable to walk for two years. We met her now. She's six years old. She's now just beginning to walk again. Explain to me, without the presence of, of Satan and a sinful nature and death and evil in our lives, and the fact that we are in this epic battle, yeah, good luck. All right. And I'm really not a doom and gloom kind of guy. I'm a happy guy. <laughs> I have I have great expectations from our last series of what God can do and his love and the good things in our life. But we have to understand <clears throat> that we, we, we don't live in an easy peasy world. We're in the midst of a battle. OK, so if I understand what for what I'm preparing, my, my action, my goal, what I'm supposed to do and I have this healthy respect, this all inspired kind of reverent fear for living in this foreign world. Meanwhile. Now, how do I prepare? OK, so remember, I said, therefore, prepare your minds for action. OK, prepare. So how do I do that? Let's go back to the mountain. How do I prepare to climb up Mount Kilimanjaro? Well, I go on these ever increasing long hikes OK, um, I thought and this leads me to um, and my Kevin, you're a moron story. All right. That's uh, I thought makes sense. I need to prepare to carry this heavy backpack for a long, long time. And so I used to this is totally nerdy. Kim used to make fun of me all the time. But I used to collect those little uh, lead wheel weights that balance your tires on your car and they, they fall off. And you, if you look down at an intersection, you usually see two or three of them. I used to collect those. Isn't that really exciting? OK, that's awesome. OK, so I had this big bin that probably had a thousand pounds of those. And my logic was, hey, Kim, at some point near our retirement, I'm going to cash those babies in and we are going to live in Maui for the rest of our lives because of my lead wheel weight collection. OK, never happened. But anyway, so anyway, my logic was, OK, I'm going to take some of those. I'm going to wrap them in towels, put them in my backpack. Then I'm going to go to the Y and set the treadmill really, really steep and walk off the treadmill. OK, so, you know, Kim works at the Y. She's very visible there. And she's like, oh, don't even. That is so embarrassing. <laughs> People know that you're connected with me. Oh, I can't believe it. So but. That was my logic and it worked. All right. So, OK, so I'm trading with heavy backpacks. I need to buy tickets. I need to buy the permits, the visas. I need to, to schedule the guides. I need to schedule all the in-country transportation. We need to do this. We need to buy equipment, all that kind of stuff. You don't wake up one day and say, I think I'll go climb Kilimanjaro today. OK, it doesn't work. I have my very first marathon. I'm in college and uh, I like to bicycle, but I hated to run. And uh, I'd run in junior high on track, but uh, that didn't really didn't count. And so um, in college and this guy on our dorm on our floor comes up to a group of us. We're watching TV and he said, hey, my dad's going to run this marathon Saturday. This was like on a Wednesday. My dad's going to run this marathon Saturday. We should do it. 
And we're all like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay. What should we do to prepare? I don't know. Just show up. Okay. So what was the, what was the result? Pain, blisters, cramps, not finishing the race, laying down on the road in the middle of a cornfield, exhausted. When we don't prepare, we don't get there. If our goal is to get there and to, uh, to receive the inheritance and to live our life through this foreign land, we have to prepare. So how do we do that in our spiritual life? Well, I'm going to rattle off half a dozen or so ways in which we can p- prepare. And this is not rocket scientists. scientists. Every one of these things, we know. We hear them all the time. We know better. The problem is we don't do it. We think, well, I'll just float through life. Oh, yeah, I'll get this heartache. Well, I'll just float through life. Oh, yeah, I'll be destroyed. Oh, I'll just float through life. Oh, I'll. And, and it just doesn't make sense to me because we just don't do the things we know about. OK, number one, talk to God, a.k.a. prayer. OK, God, the creator of the universe, gave me the opportunity to speak to him one on one anytime I want to and dialogue with my creator. And we go through how many of you I'm, I'm right in there with you. How many go through a multiple days without even talking to him. I mean, it's ridiculous. One of the strategies I use a lot of times is I just picture him just sitting there or laying in a, on a cot beside my bed. And I'll just lean over. Again, Kim thinks I'm stupid. But I'll lean over and, and I'll say, hey, Jesus, good night, man. Would you protect my thoughts while I'm sleeping? Help me to wake up refreshed. Or sometimes in the car, my car named Buffy, my car's named Buffy, and I'll, I'll, I'll look over in the passenger seat. Hey, Jesus, man, I'm really confused about this one thing. Can't figure it out. Will you help me? Talk to God. Talk to him. Secondly, move this word from here to here. You know, we, I mean, it's again, so elementary, but we don't do it. If I were to read the Sermon on the Mount to you, you would recognize every single one of those 112 verses. And you'd say, oh, yeah, I heard that, heard that. Oh, yeah, I heard that, heard that. The problem is it never moves from here to here. Okay, I'm going to give you a challenge this morning. Um, take uh, I'm just going to I just picked a verse. This is Philippians 4:12. Jeff talked about this a few weeks ago. It comes before I can do all things through Christ. So it's Paul talking about contentment, whether uh, rich or poor, sickness and health. I've learned the secret. Okay, and the secret is being content. Okay. Philippians 4.12. Here's the challenge, and I, I challenge you. Take this seriously. <clears throat> Say that verse 25 times a day out loud for a month. Okay? Out loud. Doesn't, doesn't count to read it. Doesn't count to think about it. You have to say it out loud 25 times a day for a month. Okay? Do it where nobody can see you if, you, if you're embarrassed or whatever, but do it. And you tell me what happens in your life when that moves from here to here. You say that verse over and over and over and over and over and over again, and you will have some stories about God is impacting your life and changing and rocking your world. Thirdly, hang with people who are in the game. You want to get off the bench and play in the game? You got to hang with people who are in the game. There are people all over this church. Hang with people who are in the game. Okay. Fourthly. Just a couple of chapters after what we've been talking about. First Peter chapter three, verse 15, Peter says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, you always need to be prepared to give an account for your Christian walk. Okay. The problem is we kind of know, but again, we don't do it. 
And so we're not prepared. So you're at school, you're at work, and somebody says, man, that church thing, what's that all about? And your answer is, well, um, well, okay, well, here's the deal. Um, well, I, you know, no, okay, now, and we hem haul around because we're not prepared to give an account. <clears throat> when Kim and I were on staff with Athletes in Action, that was one of the very first staff training things they said. Develop your testimony, your God story, write it out, memorize it so that you're prepared. If somebody asks you in the elevator, hey, so what do you do? You can say, oh, by the way, here's what I do. This is why I do it. Be prepared. Next, take a step toward action. Do something. Even if it's a little baby step, do something. You know, talk to me or Jeff or Jen or Kimmy or or Emily or somebody on staff. Do something. Get in a project. Quit standing around with your teeth in your mouth and your bare face hanging out. Do something. Okay? I had a, a poster in my dorm room in college. A guy hanging on a cliff, rock climbing poster. And at the bottom it said, Courage is the making of action in spite of fear. And then I wrote upon the bottom, I said, uh, repetition brings on the absence of fear. Okay. So you do something, you step out on the limb, you do something. It's kind of scary. You do it once and then you do it again and then you do it again and then you do it again. And pretty soon it's not scary anymore. Do something to help further God's kingdom. And lastly, decide right this second, decide today, this morning to say yes to action. Guy came out to me, guy, you know, came out to me in the foyer after first service. And he said, uh, man, <clears throat> I was flip-flopping about whether to do this thing. And he told me the story. And he said, I decided to say yes. Decide right now to say yes to action. The problem is you get into the heat of battle. God starts prompting something. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, hey, we, we should do this. We should get involved in this. And your reaction is, well... Maybe, maybe not. I'll think about it, blah, blah, blah. Don't, you know, don't wait until then to decide to say yes. Decide this morning to say yes to action. Um, in, in the His Pins Archery Ministry, um, I've written a, a series of lesson series, a series of lesson series that we use in our, in our archery classes. One of those series is called the Upside Down Archer. And there's a picture of an upside down archer. And uh, the, the, the lessons talk about uh, times in which Jesus gives us parables or, or things in our life that seem on the surface to be upside down. If you want to save your life, lose it. If you will live your life, you'll save it. The first shall be last. Those kinds of things. This morning, I want us to be upside down Christians. This whole series of live in the world but not of it seems really upside down on the surface. Seems contrary to what our natural uh, sinful nature would would lead us. But let's be upside down Christians. Let's decide today to say yes to action and prepare. Begin today preparing your minds for that action so that at some point you'll be able to take that inheritance, keys to the castle and just run with it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being with us this morning. Um, What an awesome inspiration your word is to get us into the game. And uh, we know that's scary. You know that it's scary for us. And uh, you know that we tend to just uh, skate by on the easy road. So we pray that you will give us an extra measure, every single one of us, an extra measure of uh, endurance and creativity and gumption, and that, um, <clears throat> that you would be with us every step of the way. Um, you're an awesome God. We love you. Amen. Hey, happy Sunday. See you.